Our reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 4, and starting at verse 7, and then later going on to chapter 5, starting from verse 8. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, But praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator, and continue to do good. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will restore him, restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So we've come to the end of our series on the letter of 1 Peter. 
Well, having not been able to hear all of the previous talks um, live, I listened to all five of them um, in a, a car journey to work um, one day this week. I don't think I've ever listened to an entire sermon series um, in one hit before, but um, it was actually a really great way to immerse myself in what is a very fascinating letter. So even if you have heard most of the others, uh, if you do have an hour or so to spare, I'd really recommend it. Let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word together now, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to learn something new from you and to experience you in a new way. In your name we pray. Amen. So today, as I said, we come to the final part of Peter's first letter. And just a brief recap, um, in previous weeks uh, we've heard about the living hope and guaranteed inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ because of his life, death and resurrection. We've heard that we're called by name, that we are a holy nation and a chosen people. And that as a result of that, we are to live differently. And that as we get our relationship with God right, that works itself out in our relationships with others and points them to Christ. And today's passage uh, unpacks some of those themes a bit further and touches on others and lands them as the letter closes. And it opens with this phrase, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. How does that make you feel? Fearful? It's a bit dramatic, isn't it? Maybe hopeful, like it can't come soon enough. Or maybe even complacent. These words were written more than 2,000 years ago and the end of all things hasn't happened yet. And the next word after that phrase is therefore. The end of all things is near, therefore. And Peter goes on to explain to his readers how they should live in the light of all things. It's in that context that we're to read what follows. And there are two key themes that we'll look at. So firstly, how we're to live our lives in the light of the end. And how we're to approach the experience of suffering for our faith. And the first thing Peter says is, is that in light of the end being near, we should be alert. In fact, that phrase is repeated three times in the letter or three times at least, that I could count, twice uh, in the passage we've looked at today and once um, earlier in the book. Peter really wants his readers to get the hang of this. We're to be ready. And this is an echo of uh, Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Ten girls are waiting uh, to go into a wedding feast in that parable that Jesus tells. Five of them had uh, spare oil uh, for their lamps, so when the time came and the bridegroom arrived and the party started, they were ready to go in. The other five, who didn't have spare oil, ran out and had to go and buy some more just at the critical moment. The bridegroom arrived, the party began, the door closed, and they missed it. And that parable ends with... Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So we're to be ready, and we're to be alert. And Peter says we need to be alert so we can pray. 
And prayer should be a a first priority, shouldn't it? Not a, a last resort when all else has failed. When life feels too much and the bad news and the pressure just seem relentless, it can be tempting to just sort of hunker down and shut down and find ways to escape. But Peter says we're to stay alert, not sleepwalk through it all. I wonder if he has in mind the time that he couldn't stay alert and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course later, after that, he fell into temptation and denied that he even knew Jesus. If we stay alert and prayerful, we're more likely to keep walking in his path and to allow God and not our circumstances to shape our perspective. Next, Peter says we're to love deeply. Times of anxiety, and for many of us now may well be such a time, can drive us to become introspective, can't it? To focus on ourselves and our own needs. To buy up all the pasta or all the toilet rolls or whatever it may be. To hold on to our money and our possessions more tightly. But it's a time to love more, not less. And as we've heard in previous weeks, the way we interact with each other and the way we treat others is what sets us apart and points people to Christ. Third, we're to offer hospitality without grumbling. Sometimes we do grumble about this, don't we? Being hospitable in our own homes or, or elsewhere can feel like a burden. Or we feel like it should be reciprocated. You know, I invited so-and-so over and they haven't invited me back. Grumble, grumble. But generous and sacrificial hospitality without expecting anything in return is incredibly powerful. And I was struck by a, a phrase in David's email this week. Uh, he said, it's striking how a warm welcome, inclusive talk and a sincere spirit can make one feel at home. I actually think it's something that this community does really well. Um, and an obvious example is, is the hospitality that many of you have shown to Ukrainians um, who've, uh, who live in our community now. And David spoke in a, in a previous talk about meeting a Ukrainian lady who said she knew she was loved here because we are sincere. And that offer of friendship and hospitality uh, with no strings attached is noticed and it's valued and it's appreciated and it's something that sets us apart. And next, we're to use our gifts to serve others. We sometimes feel uncomfortable about offering our gifts, don't we? Or even to admit that we have them. Not very British. But Peter says that using our gifts in the service of others is to be faithful stewards of God's grace. If we hide them away, we're refusing and and wasting a gift that God has given us and we're denying others the opportunity to benefit from it. What gift do we have that others in this community or beyond could benefit from if we were prepared to use it? A particular gift he mentions is speaking. And that could be understood in the context of preaching. 
But it could also be about how we speak and how we use our words in everyday life. If anyone speaks, Peter says, they should do so as the one who speaks the very word of God. And we know the power of words to encourage or to tear down. Peter calls us to be encouragers, to be those who affirm, those who bring hope. I was listening to another sermon the other week, and I'm just going to rip off one of their illustrations. The preacher was talking about uh, the great friendship between uh, J.R. Tolkien, uh, writer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, C.S. Lewis, writer of the Narnia Chronicles and uh, many other books. Both men were Christians. In fact, if I remember rightly, um, Tolkien led Lewis to Christ. Both men were writers. But apparently Tolkien lacked so much confidence in his work that he said he would never have published his Lord of the Rings trilogy were it not for the encouragement of his friend, C.S. Lewis. So those classic books might never have seen the light of day. Sometimes we can see gifts in others that they can't see in themselves, can't we? And vice versa. How can we build up and encourage others and help them to step out in their gifts? So, we're to be alert so we can pray. We're to love deeply. We're to offer hospitality generously. And we're to use the gifts God has given us to serve others. And then we come to this section about suffering for being a Christian. Remember the context of this book. Its readers were mostly Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians. They were scattered geographically. And they were suffering persecution and hostility from their Greek and Roman neighbours, which was challenging their faith. Perhaps they were surprised and disillusioned by the troubles that had come on them. Maybe they thought that now they had uh, believed in Christ, their lives would be full of blessing and joy and prosperity. But Peter reassures them that suffering for their faith isn't something that should surprise them, but something they should rejoice in. And he recalls Jesus' words that his disciples should consider it an honour and a blessing to be persecuted like he was. Suffering for their faith confirms their identity in Christ and is a way for them to bear witness to him. It reiterates the importance of a heavenly perspective and focuses their, their future hopes on Christ's return. We may or may not feel that as individuals we suffer persecution of any form for our faith. There are, of course, thousands of Christians across the world who do, and we must remember them in our prayers. I wouldn't say I suffer much persecution as a rule, and I have to say I was quite challenged as I prepared this talk as to why that may be the case. 
I'm fortunate, of course, to work for a, a Christian organisation, so I don't face the, the workplace challenges in quite the same way or the ethical uh, conundrums um, that I'm sure some of you do or have done in the past, where our, our values as, as followers of Christ um, rub up against the very different values of the world. But I have plenty of friends and acquaintances who aren't believers. And while no one wants to go looking for persecution, it has made me reflect on on whether the the absence of it says anything about my distinctiveness or lack of it. But whether or not we can experience, we can relate to the experience of uh, of personally um, suffering for our faith or not, I think we can all agree that our society is increasingly hostile to traditional religious faith in general and to uh, Christianity in particular. It's a difficult time to be a Christian and to stand up for Christian values and beliefs. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll have heard David uh, talking about a newspaper article um, that talked about um, the Oxford University Student Union um, hanging a sign on the Christian Union stall at the Freshers' Fair. And the sign uh, was advising new students that if visiting the Christian Union stall and talking to Christians made them feel anxious or upset, then there was somewhere they could go to get support. Our society isn't tolerant of Christian faith. And the more society is hostile to the gospel, the more distinctive and countercultural, but the more difficult Christian lifestyle decisions become. And this can win people to Christ, but it can also lead to hostility and misunderstanding. And Peter is careful to distinguish between suffering for our faith, which refines our faith and brings glory to Jesus, and suffering for doing wrong, which of course does neither of those things. If we're going to suffer, says Peter, let's suffer for doing good, not for doing wrong. And towards the end, Peter reminds his readers of the real enemy they're facing, which is not primarily a cultural or political one. There are dark forces of spiritual evil at work and we're to resist these by staying faithful to Jesus and his teachings and by retaining that perspective of his return and ultimate victory. And what does Peter say will happen if we endure? He says this, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. What an amazing promise. No matter what our situation or what we're going through, God's grace and strength is sufficient for us. So, as we come to the end of this book and this series, let's hold on to this powerful reminder of Christian hope in the midst of suffering. God's people have been a a misunderstood minority from the beginning and should expect to face some degree of hostility or misunderstanding as we've chosen to live under the rule of a different king and to live by different values. Persecution and suffering aren't pleasant, but they can be a gift which offer the chance to show others the generosity and love of Jesus.
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that no matter what we are going through, you promise to restore us and to make us strong, firm and steadfast. Help us to stay alert and prayerful as we wait for your return. And in doing so, Lord, to point others to you. Amen.